Hi, I'm April Klimkevich. And I'm Amanda McClooney, and this is Her Step Forward, where we share stories from women who step up, step out, and step forward into careers and lives they love. Before we begin today, a note of warning. The topic we're about to explore is a sensitive one, and it may not be suitable for everyone. Today, we'd like to welcome Nilsa Rivera. She is an author with a background of over two decades working with families who are homeless or receiving housing subsidy to increase their earned income and reduce their dependency on welfare and rental assistance. As a writer, Nilsa explores gender and diversity issues, including child neglect, domestic violence, homelessness, and sexual abuse. Her work has appeared in the Huffington Post, the Selkie, and several other literary journals. It's also been featured at Miami Book Fair's lip service, True Stories Out Loud Miami, the Writing Class Radio podcast, and at the Muses and Music, a multidisciplinary event of the Cream Literary Alliance. Nilsa is also the editor of The Wardrobe and Double Back Review. When she's not working or writing, Nilsa can be found reading or working out at the gym with her husband and teenage son. Nilsa, welcome. We're so glad to have you here today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Yay. (laughs) So I'll get us started here. For the last two decades, Nilsa, you've worked with families who are homeless or receiving a housing subsidy. How did you pick this area as your career? I really believe this career chose me. I had just enough experience, um, personal experience, to relate to the population that I would end up serving for years. I lived for four years as a homeless teenage mom, and I had very unstable housing. So I was able to empathize with this community and really understand them from a point where it's very difficult to change your life around and serve them from a point where where they was not trying to change them. I understood how hard it was for them to get out of that lifestyle, and I didn't put any expectations on them changing their life. And I serve them from, this is where you're at, and you, you, know, you can be right now, and we can take it from there. So being in a supportive role where you're kind of allowing them to determine the rate and amount of change that's right for them in their lives. Exactly. Wow. That's a difficult position to take. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and, and something that's so necessary. I mean, can you speak to us? I don't know if you know, but being here in South Florida where we are, how many people are affected or need help with homelessness or housing subsidies? Is there a pretty large audience? There is. I actually work for a program where we house 15,000 families and we assist them with rental subsidy. And we've had a um, a waiting list for over 10 years <gasps> to assist. Well, the homeless trust here in Miami does a count every year. In 2018, there was approximately 3,500 families that were sheltered or unsheltered, considered homeless. That's incredible. So the work that you're doing is so important and I'm glad that, you know, it's something that we can talk about because I don't think that too many people realize just how big those numbers are. I mean, that's a tremendous amount of our community. Yes. And I mean, I think that even middle class in Miami, I think struggles a little bit with affordable housing here. The rent and the mortgage keep continue going up. So just imagine someone whose income is extremely low or depending on, you know, government assistance to to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So... It seems that writing is pretty different from what you've been doing for the past 
two decades. So tell us a little bit about taking that leap into writing. I've always loved um, reading and writing, and I've always used writing as a way to express myself. I've um, journaled, and, I, and I've always written small, you know, short stories here and there, and I've never really shared it with anybody outside of my family and my very close friends. And I remember sharing one of my short stories with a coworker, and when she says, well, you should publish this, I was like, oh, no, no, no. I immediately freaked out, and I was so afraid. I didn't want to share my story with anyone. And she said, well, that's kind of selfish because you've gone through a lot of things, and some of the things that you're addressing here may inspire other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you should like reconsider and taking away that focus on my story and what I'm writing and shifting that to the service that I would give to someone else or how someone else would take my story really helped me like break through that fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm very fortunate. I have, um, I have very supportive, uh, very supportive family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why I've always felt a little bit more comfortable with, with my families and friends. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad that you took that first step and, and shared it with someone so that they could encourage you to get out there and, and share your story with others because, you know, your coworker was right. It, it seems like something that's so personal to you, but I'm sure there are so many other people out there who can relate to the story that you're sharing. Yes, yes. I found um, throughout me sharing my story that other people relate to some of the situations. And I guess it's easy to think, no, I'm unique. I'm so unique. This has never happened to anyone else. But in reality, like writing is about communicating and connecting with others. Mm-hmm. So I, I was able to, I've been able to see that happen. Can you give us an example of somebody reaching out to you and, and saying how your story had affected their lives? Um, when I publish a article about my hearing loss, because my, I, I do have a hearing loss, a moderate hearing loss, mm-hmm. and my mom is deaf. And wow. when I published the Huffington article, I had so many people reach out to me and, and tell me how they also felt like they were in between two worlds because in the deaf culture, you have to be deaf kind of to be in that culture and I mean that's just an overview there's a lot more to unpack there but um if you're if you don't use sign language and you are hearing a little bit you know you communicate through your voice rather than your hands then it could be very difficult to be integrated into the deaf community Mm -hmm. so I had a lot of people reach out to me through email and Facebook message and I was like wow I never thought that I would have that type of impact Right. So they, yeah, they were saying, Hey, I'm not alone. I've also had that experience. And for them, maybe that was the first time they had ever known of anybody else to have that experience too. Exactly. And I've even built friendships from there. So it's it's awesome. Wow. That's cool. It's really great. Nilsa, one of the projects that you're currently working on is a memoir about your experience as a homeless teenage mom who came from a dysfunctional family, and then you fell into an outcasted world. So, and this kind of goes on the topic that we were just talking about. How did you summon up the courage to tell your story to the world? I still get nervous. I still, 
every time I tell my story, I still feel a little bit scared. I still feel a little embarrassed about what I'm sharing. But as I do it more and more, I become more comfortable with it. Again, what really took me out of my show was realizing that it does my story wasn't just about me it was a more universal issue that I'm exploring wow well it's obvious that you've overcome some really big obstacles in your life if you could send a message to yourself during those really challenging years and some of those the hardest times what would you tell young Nilsa I think the one thing that I needed to hear was everything you need is within you you don't need to look for love and validation externally. You have all the love and support that you need to do this. Like you can do this without looking for love and validation. Because then I was a teenager um, when I was going through m- my most difficult years. So I wanted that love and support. And I did a lot of things just to gain that validation from other people. So I think that hearing that from someone would have made me like stop and realize, okay, I really can do this. I can love myself. Mm -hmm. When did you come to that discovery? I was probably in my 20s, maybe even in my late 20s. (laughs) (laughs) And it happens at a different age for everyone. I mean, I think that, you know, even throughout, there are still going to be some you know, at different ages, there's going to be days that are harder than others. And, you know, like as you're going through your personal growth path and, and whatever that may be, there's going to be times where you're, you know, probably very sure of yourself. And there's going to be other times where you're not as sure as yourself. And I think that's probably pretty typical for a lot of people. I mean, myself included, I, I think I have, you know, times where I'm like, yes, this is great. I can do this. And then there's other times where, you know, it, it's harder. It's, it's really hard to find that confidence in yourself sometimes. It is. And I mean, I still, I I mean, every day is different. You know, you're right. You know, some days are really, really good. And then some days um, or some situations might present that you're like, oh my God, how am I even going to do this? And you start um, that negative self-talk, but just reminding ourselves that, you know, that we can do it and we can continue that, that mentality, like really is something that we have to practice daily. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Nilsa, for our our next question, I'm going to just give our audience a little bit of background information on what we're talking about and say that human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world, and it affects people of all ages, races, and genders. And specifically, what human trafficking can mean is that it's a form of modern day slavery. So that could be everything from sexual exploitation to forced labor or services or servitude. And I know that you're currently working on a novel about human trafficking. So can you tell us a bit more about your work and, and what this project means to you? My novel is about a human trafficking victim who escapes the human trafficking cell that she's being kept in. Mm-hmm. And she trying to escape and, and change her life. But at the same time, she's trying to bring that human trafficking cell down and contact police and work with the with the police to bring, you know, to shut down that operation. Mm-hmm. And this story came to me because while I was out on the street, I met a lot of friends 
that were having survival sex. And back then, and I'm I'm talking about the 90s, we really didn't talk about, or we didn't know about what human trafficking was. And a lot of my friends um, started out having survival sex, and then it evolved into being, or back then we used to call it dating their boyfriend, but then they were forced to have sex, to either buy drugs or just, you know, have money to eat. And this was something that they didn't want to do, but they just somehow got caught in that lifestyle. And I was very fortunate that I did not fall into that. And I had a boyfriend who loved me and respected me and protected me while we was out on the street. So I was very fortunate. And when I got out of that situation, I had to be very grateful because it was very easy to fall into that. Even though we didn't know it as human trafficking, it was because they were um, not able to get out of the situations, even if they wanted to at that point. And that's how I got the idea for Lily, which is the main character of that novel, which she's actually empowered and is able to get out of this situation and actually have an impact on the other victims that are there. So I wanted to I wanted to create stories where women were empowered and when women were able to be the be the hero of the story. Right. Instead of all these stories where the, the women are the victim, the victim of abuse, victim of domestic violence, rape, murder. I wanted to write more stories about women who were powerful and had the power to impact their life and come out resilient at the end. Mm-hmm. And you share a really important point that so many of the people getting involved in human trafficking don't know what it is, are very young, you know, don't really have an understanding about the world and how the world works. They're just trying to survive. And this is what either fell into their lap or, you know, they they thought it was something else and it turned out to be different. And so, um, you know, it's pretty um, scary to think of being a young person and trying to figure it out and just getting caught up in something that you have no idea what it's about until you're in it. Mm -hmm. And it could be something, I mean, very, very simple as, you know, you're, you're running away from home. You know, I just give you, you know, an example, you're 13 years old, you're running away from home because your parents are abusing you. All of a sudden you're in the street, you may, you meet someone you know, you're hungry, you know, you have nowhere to go. Somebody offers you a little bit of love, some food, and then you start that relationship. Some of these, you know, girls and boys, you know, get groomed for years before the men's actually ask them to have sex with other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important that one of the, the points that you pointed out is that they're groomed. I, I think that up until a few years ago, like like we've been mentioning, like human trafficking wasn't a term and it wasn't something that people were aware of. So I'm glad that we're talking about the topic today and, and hopefully bringing more awareness and shedding some light on this. But, you know, I think probably a very common misconception is that people want to get into prostitution or other things. But there's another side of the story that sometimes, you know, especially because some of the youngest people get started and they really don't know and and they're groomed into this world. And so I'm so glad that you you pointed this fact out because, you know, it's it's not always a choice that someone makes. Right. It's not. It's really not. I mean, you start a relationship looking for love and, and, and some help, some hope. And then it evolves into something that you really can't get out of that easily. 
Well, I'm so glad that you're shedding some light uh, on human trafficking. I know it's a really difficult topic to talk about, but I also know that it's, you know, such a pervasive problem all over, you know, in cities big and small, and especially here in, in Florida where we are, it's, it's, you know, definitely something that we're seeing more of on the news. So I applaud you for tackling a, a really difficult topic. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we are third in the nation um, in, as far as human trafficking cases is concerned. And, you know, it occurs to me that you are your protagonist. You're the one who is the hero. You're empowered. You changed your life. You did it. And now you're the inspiration for all of these other women who are going through what you've been through. And so I think that that is a beautiful story. Thank you. I didn't look at it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So thinking back about your life and, you know, where you've come now and you've learned so much and, and you've been able to do so much for yourself and for other women, what would be your best piece of advice for women looking to take their next step forward? Follow your heart, even if you're scared and you don't know exactly where it would lead you. Follow your heart, your desires. Um, <laughs> my biggest um, mistakes have to come from me not listening to my heart and, and my gut feeling, right? My intuition. So be aware of your heart, what your heart is telling you and what your body is telling you. Oftentimes, our body reacts to certain situations and we're so involved with what's going on that we don't stop a second to check in with our body or what our body is telling us. That's so true. And I think that a lot of women, myself included, can pinpoint certain times in their lives when they're like, why didn't I listen to my gut? Why did, why did I pretend that this was going to be okay? It was a terrible idea. So I think that's really good advice. Well, with that, we want to say thanks to everyone for joining us today. And thanks so much to you, Nilsa, for taking the time to share your story with us. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Our pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) And as always, we're looking forward to sharing more stories soon. In the meantime, check out our website at herstepforward.com or follow us on Instagram at herstepforward for all the latest updates. If you'd like to reach out to us, shoot us a message on Instagram or email us at info at herstepforward.com. See you next time. (laughs) 